Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Jesse. <laughs> and I'm Austin. Hey, everyone. So today we are starting off a new series, kind of an exciting series. It's, it's a big first for us uh, because it turns out we have listeners. That's you guys. And you listeners have things you want to hear. And you wrote us about them. So this week we are covering uh, The Prestige, directed uh, by Christopher Nolan. This was requested by our listener, Mikhail, um, who requested that we just do any kind of Nolan movie, and we chose this one. I also want to introduce our guest today, uh, my brother-in-law, Austin. Austin, you say hi to all the nice people. What's up, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's in town for a little trip, and uh, we've been talking about recording a podcast for, oh, you know, like three or four years. Yeah, maybe going all the way back to 2015, potentially. Yeah, yeah, d- depending on the sources, <laughs> uh, either him or me, and whether or not we remembered. Um, but it's kind of nice to be sitting here with you. N- nice to see you here. Nice to see you guys. Um, so this movie, let's just kind of dive in a little bit with some of our cast and crew. Um, again, this is The Prestige, directed by Christopher Nolan. This is a filmmaker that doesn't need a lot of introduction, uh, just like in our previous episode with Quentin Tarantino. He's so well-known in the popular consciousness that he might be, aside Tarantino and Fincher, kind of the director right now, the creative force. Everyone knows his movies. Everyone knows what he's done, uh, whether it be uh, The Dark Knight, Interstellar, Inception. Um, every movie he makes is pops right into the zeitgeist. So this movie came out in 2006, immediately following Batman Begins. It, interestingly, I was watching the special features. The script was locked in 2000, in January 2006, and the movie premiered in October. Wow, that's yeah, crazy. Fast. In and out and done. That's how wow. pros do it. Anyway, so he also produced and wrote this film, as he does with many of his films, produced it with his wife and wrote it with his brother, uh, Jonathan. And it's based off of a novel by Christopher Priest. Now, in our discussion of this movie, at least I am not planning on speaking about the novel in any meaningful way. Uh, I don't have any experience with it. I've never read it. Um, So if you're looking for that content, that's not here. This is just the movie. Uh, So anyway, Jonathan Nolan, he has a lot of good credits. Some of Chris's best work and also maybe some of his more controversial work, too. Whether it's talking about, you know, Memento or Batman Begins, which everyone thinks are, you know, just straight up classics. But then maybe something like Interstellar where people might have some questions about how good it is. But he's also known for uh, creating and writing episodes for uh, Person of Interest, his show that went on for over 100 episodes, and also for being the showrunner, producer, director, writer, with his wife, Lisa Joy, on Westworld for HBO. The Prestige stars Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Scarlett Johansson, Michael Caine, Piper Perabo, Rebecca Hall, David Bowie, Andy Serkis, and Ricky Jay. Now, I think a lot of these names are, are again, fairly well-known. I don't think we need to go down their CVs too much. These, these people have become huge stars, and some of them were at the time. But I do want to highlight Ricky Jay here as somebody that I think is, is really fun, really important. He's a guy that worked a lot with David Mamet uh, back in the day through some of his more classic movies like uh, House of Games, Spanish Prisoner. He's also worked twice with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson for Boogie Nights and Magnolia. He just shows up and he's a really wonderful presence because in real life, he's actually a magician. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Uh, and nice. he's he's a consultant for magic for, for many years for many different movies. And he's also uh, he's an expert in, in uh, card games. He's an expert in uh, card sharking. He's really incredible. He, there's tons and tons of YouTube videos. I mean, this guy's been around for a long time and he knows just about every magic trick there is to know. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to him because he's a guy that you'll notice. I mean, like that guy. That's a weird guy. <laughs> Actually a magician. 
<laughs> so moving on, the cinematography was done by longtime collaborator uh, Wally Pfister, mostly known for his work with Christopher Nolan and also known for that one time that he didn't shoot a Christopher Nolan movie and went and made Transcendence with Johnny Depp instead. <laughs> that movie totally blew. <laughs> but here for this movie, he's nominated for cinematography. The only other Oscar this one was nominated for was art direction. Hmm. Not really my strong suit. Uh, what, do you, what do you think, Mike? You got a lot to say about art direction? You know, I don't. I, I just don't. But I think that one time you said that you would talk for an hour about a bucket. I uh, I could talk for an hour about a bucket, but art direction, I can't talk for an hour about. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Especially when the art direction There's in this movie, don't know. It, it's a lot of grays and and muted neutral tones like of all like of all the art colors we could talk about those are the by far the most boring and yet the oscar nomination for cinematography for shooting those boring muted colors it's amazing <laughs> yeah, it's amazing <laughs> that I well i mean it is a beautiful movie like it's it's fun to look at yes. for sure yeah it, it has a very natural warm yeah. feeling to it you can you can feel the dirt in the window panes yeah uh, i really like that that tactile yeah. feel to it but anyway, so usually we would launch into either a, a summary or, or a nostalgia, but we're going to kind of split things up a little bit here. This is a, a complicated movie to talk about, and so our discussion must also be complex. Uh, we're going through different <laughs> timelines here, just so everyone knows. We're jumping back for backwards and forwards. and This might be the end of the podcast right here. Exactly, exactly. So this is, <laughs> this is day one, the mole, all right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I just wanted to share a little bit of my nostalgia for this one. This is a big one for me. Christopher Nolan was one of the few filmmakers, like maybe right behind Steven Spielberg, that I I knew their name. And when I watched a movie that I loved, I would check the back and I'd start to recognize similar names. And the first one that came up the most was Spielberg, obviously, because you're a kid in the 90s. But this Christopher Nolan was the second name that I learned uh, mostly off the strength of the number of times that I watched Batman Begins. And so my excitement to see The Prestige was really, really high. I begged my parents to see it. I'm like 13 years old. And this very adult movie about betrayal and love triangles and infidelity and obsession and insanity comes out. And my parents <laughs> said, no, you're a dark, weird kid and you should not be watching dark, weird movies. <laughs> but I always held up The Prestige as like the best movie I was not allowed to watch. And it kind of haunted me for a long time, uh, waiting until I was old enough. None of my friends had even heard of it. None of them had seen it. I had no access to this movie. And it wasn't really until I, I was out on my own that this was one of the first movies I tracked down. Um, I remember buying the Blu-ray in 2010 and watching the crap out of it and really revering it in my head, maybe just from the, the long time I'd spent building it up as one of the best movies I had ever seen in my life. Going back to it now, I don't really feel that way. I think it's still an astounding movie, but at the time, I mean, you could have shown me, I would have stacked this up in the top 10 of the greatest films ever, ever made. Yeah. Um, That's cool that it didn't like, I, I feel like so, so often for me, movies like that, that I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to see this movie. It ends up being kind of a light down because mm -hmm. in the end, it's just a movie, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and so you think it's going to be the best thing ever made and it's, it's not mm -hmm. most of the time, but that's really cool that it wasn't that it like met your expectations and exceeded it. No, it, it, it did. And it's, um, I don't want to necessarily create like a new sidebar or a new segment yeah. here, but this is something that uh, there's uh, several movies, maybe about 30, 40 movies that I wasn't allowed to see when I was a teenager and I, that I desperately wanted so badly to see. And that when I did encounter them a little bit later, the euphoria I felt at finally watching it, it made, it negated the movie's quality. 
you know, okay. the fact yeah. that I could finally watch it and appreciate it and understand what everyone was talking about in regards to it could overshadow whether the movie was good or bad. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, this is one where that did not happen. The movie is excellent. It is wonderful. And it will always have a very deep place in my heart because of, of all my memories attached to it and all that that hype that I had. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I've been talking for a while. Uh, Jesse, you want to talk to us about what is the prestige? <laughs> okay. So there's a lot going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Do not listen any further if you have not seen this movie. Go see this movie. <laughs> we, we just roped you in for like 15 minutes. <laughs> so we can tell you to stop. Yeah, exactly. We're those kind of guys. So go watch it and then come back and give us a second listen on this episode. Yeah. yeah. There we go. So this movie has like three different timelines, which I'm not really going to get into yet. But at the heart of it, it's a pretty simple story. It's about these two or are they two magicians that used to be friends until one of them, uh, it's Albert Borden played by Christian Bale. He ties up Hugh Jackman's wife who, and Hugh Jackman is Robert Angier. And uh, while they're doing, while she is doing a magic trick and he accidentally drowns her. And then to make matters worse, when Angier asks Borden what knot did he tie he always says I don't know right he doesn't know whether or not he's responsible for her death and that just drives Angier up a wall so much so that he goes on an increasing like revenge escapade where he like (laughs) uh, revenge escapade (laughs) (laughs) first thing he does is he shoots the fingers off right Um, pretty awesome yeah way to go man Borden in retaliation sabotages his uh, magic set. And then uh, Borden, in in the meanwhile, has gained his own wife and is establishing his own uh, relationship, which is now on the rocks because she says that some days he loves her and some days he doesn't. Isn't that mysterious? So uh, after a bunch of like stabbing at each other, right, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) which that's a bulk of the movie right there. Yep. Yep. And then roll a Tom York song. Yeah. Roll really creepy (laughs) and disconcerting Tom York song. I mean, yeah, you just described a Tom York song. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I felt uncomfortable when the credits came up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's most of the movie. Um, All right. When I first saw this as a teenager, I first saw this when I was like 14. And this movie you blew bastard. I know. <laughs> I saw it when it came out on DVD. Uh, uh, my, yeah, my parents let me watch Chris, uh, Christopher Nolan movies. And I knew who Christopher Nolan was because my dad was really into Memento. Like that oh, is, wow. oh, yeah, yeah, Memento is like the original dad movie for me because my dad got super into it. I mean, like, like pausing screens just so he could see like the tattoos that were on his body and stuff like that. <laughs> Future episode guys. Yeah. So, uh, it's kind and, of like a memento thing to do too, to like pause the screens, to read the tattoos yeah, and to get like, obsessed <laughs> with memento. Like who like, is isn't, Teddy? Isn't that basically what memento is? But yeah. <laughs> memento causes you to become like the memento guy. 
Yeah, um, yeah. and then and then all you see is like Trinity from the Matrix, and you're like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you doing here? <laughs> wow, I'm I'm gonna have to push a pause on that one because I really want to sit here and just do 19 variations of "What are you doing here?" <laughs> uh, so yeah, going into this one, I knew who he was. I knew there were gonna be some weird twists, and also this is one of like three magician movies to come out in one year there was yeah yeah the illusionist and their scoop which also stars hugh jackman and scarlett johansson and that's been on my list for a long time i really want to get to that one uh but i have seen the illusionist and uh there's a a friend of the podcast will uh, used to like to defend to me late at night why the illusionist was a better (laughs) movie than the prestige and i was never sure if he was kidding or not uh, he he based most of his argument on the presence of Rufus Sewell. So, Will, if you're out there and you want to talk Rufus Sewell <laughs> and why you're wrong about the illusionist, please add us. Thank you. That's, that's an odd reason. I know. I know. <laughs> He's going to have to be on the show to defend himself at a certain point. I feel like Paul G- you can make a case at Paul Giamatti. Or even Ed Norton. Yeah. 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 All of them. Your episode. Right? <laughs> <laughs> where, where I where I shit on the illusionist for two hours would be great. I think I I think I saw the movie kind of the same way. I mean, I didn't know I knew Christopher Nolan because of Batman Begins, and that just blew my mind. It was so cool. And then found out about the Prestige and was like, oh, we got to see this. And I think we got it on Netflix when Netflix was DVDs that got sent to your house. Okay, boomer. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. I'm a millennial. <laughs> elder millennial. I'm an elder millennial. And it was so cool, dude. It was like, it blew my mind. I loved watching this movie. And, you know, there's the the final scenes just definitely stick with me. It's one of those scenes that, you you know, you just kind of like think about when you think about great end, ends to a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When everything kind all the cards are, are out and you, you realize what everything is and what everything does and why there were those hats at the beginning. Yep. And you he showed see, you something ordinary. Yes. Yeah. And then he brought it back. And he brought it back. <laughs> yeah. He mm-hmm. showed you the prestige. And uh, it, it was so cool. It's definitely like one of those movies that I think is pretty universally known by... I don't know, people our age. Yeah. I feel like everyone I know is like, oh yeah, the prestige. That was awesome. That was a good time. Like when you're a teenager, it's one of the first movies where like, like all the, like all the imagery like reflects what's going on in the movie. Right. Where like with the two birds or when the kids shouts, like what happened to the bird's brother? Right. Like, like even a teenager can understand if you happen to think about that, that like, oh, that's actually foreshadowing the whole end of the movie. It's cool that, the whole movie was actually working towards this one idea and carries it out like seamlessly. Yeah. 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 Something that I think Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan both have historically had their hit and miss with it. Yeah. Like it, I think the, the, the flip side that like the, the brother to this movie would be interstellar, right. Where everything does kind of work towards that end, but the end is so WTF. You have no idea (laughs) what happened or why or, did like, it matter? Is that, or is, like, is that really it? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> how, was, how was Interstellar the brother to this movie? Because uh, just in terms of what Jesse was saying, in that uh, everything inside of this film, every image that you see, almost every line of dialogue is geared towards that ending, geared towards the carrying out of its themes and the eventual reveal. And Interstellar kind of seems like that. They're setting up like the stuff with the bookshelf and the dust. 
and then it gets to the end and you find out they go through the black hole and it's a tesseract but it was him the whole time <laughs> talking to himself yeah, yeah. earlier and his daughter and right. love is the fourth dimension right right, uh, right. also if you um i thought you were spoiler guess. warning if you haven't seen interstellar don't listen to this podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry if you haven't Delayed. seen it and and did listen this far no but we already did get the spoiler warning for interstellar it just happened at a different time yeah exactly it happened at a different time there we go <laughs> and the dimension well, of love <laughs> the dimension of love. That's but, where yeah, I live. I, I feel like this was the first movie where, like, me and all of my friends just talked about this for like a year. And it was just like, oh my gosh, and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, bro, it was best magic movie ever made. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Austin, what about you? What, what, where did you come to this from? Oh, I, just vague memories of this per- period of time. It would have been 2006, so just like my first year of high school, I think, at this point very much obsessing about it and i think i was able to see it at the time it came out uh, sorry you, you just it's just a trio of bastards i'm surrounded by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so generally good nostalgic memories but uh nothing in particular comes to mind you, you you didn't belong to like a cult of film bros that talked about this like mike did maybe like a uh, an unofficial cult of film bros but yes nice yeah i think that that wraps up our, our i mean all of us have like really deep feelings about everything that goes in i can kind of feel it bursting at the seams a little bit and us wanting to like really leap into it what do you think the best way to leap into it is, Jesse? Well, let's let me continue the plot for just like 30 more seconds talking about the different timelines. So I've mentioned the plot already and the three time there are three different timelines that are all going on almost simultaneously, like one right out of the other and all out of sequence because the movie starts out with Borden being arrested and yes. then he is reading Angier's journal. And Angier's journal is describing Angier on a train going to meet Tesla. Which and is like two years earlier. Yeah. Two years earlier, right? Yes. I think it was two years earlier. Something you know, like that. They never give exact dates. You can just tell by how much like Borden's daughter is aging, I think. Yeah, maybe. And the amount of time Tesla would have had to make a cloning machine. The, well, the only <laughs> data. Sorry, go ahead, no, I, I think I think that's right though. I think Olivia says like, "Oh, he's been gone for two years, and yes. now he's back in oh, London, and he has, right. the, he has the." Yeah. They're saying he's the best in England. So yeah. there, there was like a two-year gap where he was away in Colorado Springs, which would make sense because again, you 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 have to come up with a new set of physics. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it might take a little bit. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so that middle timeline is in Colorado for that two-year time span, and then Angier is reading Borden's journal while he's in Colorado and that's going back to when they first met up until Angier leaves to Colorado and also finds out that the journal was a plant the whole time and that it was all part of Borden's plan. And yeah. Borden finds out the same thing about yeah. Angier's yeah. journal. <laughs> Mutual dickishness. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's like the ultimate backstab. That was another one of my 14 year old me's like, Going, oh my gosh, it was a plan the whole time. And that was a plan. It's a plan within a plan. Oh. <laughs> I've always like, like this has been kind of the, the key of like, if I ever want to take revenge on someone, it's got to be this good or else it doesn't matter. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> like I want someone to take revenge on that. I want to take revenge on this bad. Yeah. You know, 
I, I, I was thinking, um, I was reminded again of the Heistatron episode from Rick and Morty, uh, where like the heist yeah. is the heist, but the heist doesn't matter because it's queuing up to the next heist. There's, there's so many layers to this movie, uh, as Dan Harbour would also say, stuffing itself up its own butt, um, <laughs> that it's kind of hard to, to tell in the Aurorborus where we're actually at. <laughs> uh, you son of a bitch. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the the movie has like it has that very weird flow, and it's hard to even get most of the plot out of it when you first watch it. You really need to kind of think about it and be like, "What? What did I just see? Which timeline am I watching right now?" Uh, right. But I think you know we were talking outside the podcast, and you were talking and referring to the fact that there are three different stages for a magic trick, right? There's the the pledge of the turn and the prestige. And that those yeah. timelines might actually coincide with the pledge and turn and prestige, maybe? They're, they're definitely parts of all three. In all three, uh, I don't think it's... I think it would be anti-Nolan if he were to do something as as straight up as do that. What I what Something that did strike me that I did want to talk about in that vein is how a lot of the conversations between people follow that same beat-by-beat beat structure. They, uh, For instance, taking as an example, when Angier confronts Olivia... You know, when Hugh Jackman confronts Scarlett Johansson and he's telling her, like, uh, you know, I, I told you to, to, to shadow him, not fall in love with him. It shows you something very normal. It shows you a lover's quarrel. The turn is where it's about her falling in love with another man, but she still feels attached to Angier. And then the prestige is kind of where she reveals that notebook, that thing that was missing from earlier that we saw and now it's revealed again in this new way. It's the same mm. notebook that Borden is passing on as a fuck you to Angier. And I thought that was really brilliant. And I saw that a couple other times where you would see that ordinary thing in a conversation. It would go through multiple passes and then it would surface again, maybe not even in that conversation, but in a different one. And there's all these images also that carry through the movie, all very subtle, very beautiful foreshadowing that maybe it doesn't follow the same one, two, three beat, but it at least does a one, two. Like there's a mention of a broken leg half an hour before a broken leg happens. You know, like, if yeah. you don't tie that right, she'll break her leg. And that's then what happens is that Angier breaks his leg. And uh, there's a couple other, um, you know, you have to, someone says something about digging something up. Uh, you have to dig up the secrets. And then he has to dig up Fallon later on. Who is mm. the secret? Yes, mm. exactly. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of mm. ways that this movie kind of, in a Nolan-esque way, moves in recursive loops that I think is really fascinating. So I don't know if that, I don't know, and I'd have to analyze it further. I'd have to analyze. <laughs> but Recursive loops. Exactly. <laughs> We're stuck. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to analyze if it did actually sync up correctly to the pledge turn prestige, but I would imagine in a lot of ways it really does. Okay. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think there is also some truth to jesse's sort of the timelines being the the, the pledge of the turn and prestige too yes. because in, in a very like in, in a linear way but not really in the meat of the movie but just like it, in itself is this is kind of the the magic trick yes because the pledge part um you've got two normal people in a normal mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. right and then the turn they disappear they mm -hmm. both kind of go off and do their own things and then they return mm -hmm. um right. having having you know recovered or whatever but that in itself, I think, is a magic trick. That that or or a, a you're right. A, it's yeah, a magic trick. Yeah, it's a magic trick, and he's he's actually doing something with that to you as well. Hmm. I, I think that's yeah. also interesting that the final frame being that that prestige because we saw Angier disappear at the beginning of the movie. 
this Angier, whether yeah. it's the real one or not. Or maybe the real one died a long time ago. We don't know. But this Angier disappeared. We were shown him. The movie continues. And the last thing that we see is him. He, he brings that image back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the special features, uh, Nolan talks a lot about, yeah, I'm that nerd that watches the special features. And this wasn't my first time. <laughs> I would say this wasn't even my second time. But Nolan directly says this movie is about filmmaking. 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and that was nice to get clarification. What What do you think, Austin, about about these recursive loops or about the themes of the, the, the trick and everything? Yeah, I think that's I think that's right, especially when. Uh... What, you see Tesla's machine for the first time when it's introduced and it's it looks like this very it's like this extraordinary kind of machine but it also looks like it's just like an ordinary uh, electrical transfer kind of unit and then you find out later that it does something much more than just what the eye sees yeah so it's oh, like yeah. it's like an introduction of something that's like somewhat normal and then you see that it does something very abnormal and then it's hmm. reintroduced in a different well, way well actually because because they show you Borden's machine which is just lights right right, yeah. right. and then it's they take it the... away and now it's back and it's different right so the theme of like something yeah. being introduced and going away and then coming back is something different, I think, carry, like carries throughout the whole movie. And uh, but in terms of the the way that the timelines work, Austin, um, you, you had some beef with that. But it's it's because uh, it's because oh, shit, I can't even remember the exact scene in the movie we were watching. But it was uh, anyway, I, but, I just wondered if you wanted I, to. I can confirm that I had beef with that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man, isn't it's it? Hard? It's hard to remember. <laughs> It's hard it'll to come, remember. It'll come, it'll come to me. Like, suspense. Sus- fuck me. I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> was it the Tesla keyword? Uh, yes, yes. It was the Tesla keyword. That was what you were pissed about. I, I think so. What happened with that? Well, because he, yeah. because when he goes to see Tesla, you haven't seen him get the note from Borden that said Tesla. Right, right. So you, you see, and oh, you're yeah. going, going on his journey, like, uh, obsessed about something, but you haven't even seen the reason why it's happened yet. Which is that he's been given the keyword, but that only happens have, later in the film. Like, you haven't even later. seen that Borden, both uh, both Angiers and Borden went to the Tesla show together. Yeah, yeah. You don't even know. Like you're kind of like, why is Angier going to Tesla? He mm. likes electricity, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a very. I wish I could go back and remember the very first time I saw it because it's such an alienating way to start a movie. Like it's intriguing, it's beguiling in the way that you want to know why. But yeah. also, like I, I remember the, uh, just talking about Jonathan Nolan for a moment when I first watched the first episode of Westworld, um, that first season, and just being really pissed for like nine and a half episodes because <laughs> I didn't know what the hell was happening or why. <laughs> and then as you go along, you think you're going to get more answers. You just get more questions yeah. and you're more confused. But by the time the whole thing wraps up at the end, you go... Oh, I get it. There it is. Yeah. It's the perfect bow. And just like in this movie too, when the final frame drops and you see it all laid out in front of you, perfect sense. Yeah. Perfect sense. Right. All right. I, I got to ask you guys, do you think we need multiple timelines in this movie? Like I was, you know, I was blown away by it when I was 14 and then coming back to it. I'm just like, Oh yeah. I, I kind of know what's happening hmm. at this point. It's kind of, I found it a little more annoying <laughs> this time around. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Mike or Austin. Either one of you take it. It's either like a, it's you can either like view it as a puzzle that it's like enjoyable to figure out, or it's just something obnoxious. And I think it is a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> Bravo, yeah, yeah. That's that's my hot take on that. I, yeah. I feel like it wouldn't have been mind blowing in the way that um, in the way that it was the first time I saw it if it hadn't been this massive puzzle, and so it wouldn't have been enjoyable the first time. Kind of like a magic trick. 
Yeah. Where it's like, if you know the trick, it's not that interesting. <laughs> I mean, Borden um, says that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's the, it's the least. <laughs> yeah. Cutter says so, that. yes, I okay. do. Okay. Well, what do you lose, though? So what what do you lose if you get rid of the timeline? I was thinking about that and trying to, to lay this mm. straight in my head, which is funny because I, I, I had so much of my film going experience. I, I was in the school taught by Nolan, like Tarantino was in the school taught by 70s grindhouse flicks. Um, <laughs> I went to the Nolan School of Filmmaking. So this this idea of swapping back and forth between timelines and, and messing with chronology and messing with audience kind of participation and engagement as being you being a very active participant in the way the story is being told yeah i find really intriguing very pretty unique and i I just i dig it i'm down with his language i'm down with his visual language it just it just makes sense to me and so i don't i wouldn't want a straightforward movie because i I feel like that would be half an hour longer Hmm. or half an hour shorter and i don't like that as much because i don't think it has the impact i don't think that you feel this gradual like crescendo and I feel like you'd figure out the twist just a lot earlier, like a lot, a lot earlier. If you see the transported man any sooner than you do see it, I think you might still be too questioning of the movie for that twist to feel like a twist. I think you'd feel just like Michael Caine and just be like, yeah, it's a double. Duh. Yeah. Like end of story. He's got a twin. Boom. And I think I think okay. the way that he shuffles it around, it, it's it's all for dramatic effect. I think it works perfectly. It is annoying. But yeah. So, so it's almost like, it's almost like the different timelines are convoluting the twist and what's actually going on. So that makes for a better movie just because you're trying to figure this all out and you're spending so much brain power trying to figure out the timelines and then, and then what, where exactly all this is taking place. And then, oh yeah, this is how this connects to that, that third timeline I know. And then it's, you have the rugs. I think it's all for that. You. I think, it, I think at the end of the movie, you're supposed to feel like uh, DiCaprio in the beginning of inception when he goes backwards <laughs> into the, into the tub full of water. I think it's the exact feeling you're supposed to have. It's just utter shock staring at directed by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> it's maybe even a certain amount of misdirection. <clears throat> oh, Oh, necessary Ooh. for the prestige of the movie to be pulled off. Mm, this that's, is good. That's what I, I, this, I kind of, I kind of, yeah, this is I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hard in and say like, yeah, it's absolutely necessary for this movie to have this because without it, like Vito said, you figure out what, what's going on with the transported man immediately. He's got a double. Yeah. I'm, I might even say that the jumping between different timelines in this movie is the act of the turn. Yeah. Uh. Oh dude. Yeah. Wait, say more. Yeah. You'll say more about that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Say, say more. Say more, more words <laughs> involving that. No, I'm, I'm yeah. going to just, just drop that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, maybe the process of doing that, it, it's it, it's a Nolan movie, so this has to happen. So the, the jumping between the timelines, that's like the, the act of, of turning it on the audience. Like, oh, you thought this was going to be an ordinary story? Psych. We're going we're gonna to jump between these timelines and then, uh, then show you something different in the act of doing that. We're incepting you before inception. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was actually kind of thinking about this, and I don't want to jump ahead too yeah, far. Yeah. But like this and Dunkirk, probably this Dunkirk and Memento, probably the most confusing oh, yeah. timelines, right? Oh, wait till you see Tenet, which we're not going to talk about. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Austin. We're, we're three guys who have been in quarantine states that we're not allowed to see Tenet. <laughs> Except for Jesse, who was not, and he could have, and he didn't, out of solidarity. I had to go to Wisconsin to see that movie. (laughs) 
really, I really, I really, I really, I really an excellent. <laughs> did you go to Wisconsin just to see that movie? No, no, it, it was it was just by happenstance. Okay, so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That'd be kind of awesome if you'd gone like just to see the movie. Yes, I I traveled a thousand miles from the the northeast part of the of the United States to see this disjointed movie that I have mixed feelings. Piss me off. <laughs> Nice. Well, I, I don't. I don't want to jump. I don't want to jump over into into Nolan writ large too much. Um, but uh, what do we think about the characters? And by that, I, I want to jump into something that I, I've talked a lot to Austin about because we've both been watching this movie on and off the last couple of days. An interesting thing I wanted to talk about with uh, in regards to Alfred Borden and um, Fallon. So, in different interviews, Christian Bale has said that he developed uh, unique acting styles and speech patterns for both. And in the last two viewings of the movie, because I've watched this movie three times in four days now, yeah, it just makes it the the seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth time I've seen it, so it's fine. <laughs> you're committed um, in the way that Borden is committed. I'm I'm obsessive. Yeah, you're, you're basically Borden. It's, uh, it's a young man's game. It will destroy me <laughs> in the end. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Yeah, uh, but it's really fun watching this movie, trying to pick out when he's Alfred Borden and when he's Fallon, when he's the one that loves his wife and is the father of the daughter. And when it's the one that's in love with Olivia and it's kind of a drunk asshole because it's very, it's actually really clear. There's subtle tells, but there's a bunch of them there. Borden is such a, a magnanimous, loud, dickish guy. He has a lot of big mouth. He's got a lot of loud laughs. He's always making fun of people. He's always drinking. And then when it's Fallon, he's very quiet. Like as, as Angier says, you know, uh, when the, he talks about interrogating, he's like, yeah, I don't even think that guy can talk because he doesn't really. Hold on. Hold on. So when you say when you say Fallon, I'm assuming you're talking about the guy yes, that's one who loves Sarah. Yes, I am because that that's that's who he okay. generally is. He's the ingenue. Uh, yeah, Alfred. Alfred is the I, one. Yeah, I guess. Sorry, I guess you're sort of right. Yeah, Alfred is the one who's in love with Olivia. Yes, and then Fallon is the one who's in love yeah. with Sarah. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, actually, he's he's not Alfred when he's in love with Olivia. Remember? That's right. He's Fred. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Sure. So, yeah, just to make yeah. it even more confusing with all these damn names flying around. We don't have the, two names. It's, the, twins. it's yeah. the affectionate name for. Yeah. Yes. Freddy. But I, I, I hmm. there's a couple <laughs> things to back this up to, like the scene when Sarah comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. And Fallon just left. And he goes, oh, that's wonderful. We should have told Fallon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she's like, what? Yeah. yeah like, that's, that's weird. That, like, he's your he, best friend, whatever. Like, I, I, I want him to know. But yeah. like the first time yeah, 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 that the, I tell the, you? The, the actual weird. father of your child. Yes, yeah. exactly. He's just like, hey, yeah, I don't care about you. But uh, your baby daddy just walked out the door. You should <laughs> go after him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I really I really enjoyed that aspect. And then, uh, you know, in a less showy, and actually less showy because he has less time, but more showy in terms of content is Hugh Jackman's double role as Angier and as Root. Yeah. Um, I found that really interesting as well. These these two actors developing, you know, much different stylizings from stuff that they're known for and then showing that through the character and developing these new ways. I, just from a filmmaking standpoint, I thought that was really fascinating mm-hmm. and really interesting. And from a thematic one, I love that idea mm-hmm. of the doubles always being played. Like yeah. these are, there's a constant mirror that's happening. I, that scene where uh, where Root comes out and like he switches between being Root to being Angiers, mm-hmm. like that is one of the coolest scenes because he's just like stumbling drunk and then he comes out and he's just professional. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's inspiring! Like yeah. it's weirdly inspiring. Yeah, <laughs> like I feel inspired when I see that scene. Like wow, acting is magical. Like this is a beautiful thing. It's really weird that it does that to me. I don't know if it's cool. that for That's you guys, cool. but it's just like it's really cool. He, he Even trans- though I know it's Hugh Jackman. 
Like it's Hugh Jackman being Hugh Jackman. Right. Transforms in like two within like two yeah. seconds. Yeah, yeah. 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 He Absolutely. stands up, clicks his heels, and he says, "I've played Caesar. I've played Faust. You think you're so unique?" <laughs> Which is a freaking awesome line. Yeah, that's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, that's one of the best scenes in the movie. And then another one of the best scenes. It's during the same magic trick, except uh, Borden yeah. comes out instead yeah, of uh, instead of Root. Go, go ahead, do it. Sorry. And then yeah, and he just. He acts like kind of a fool and kind of confused, not knowing what's going on. And then you see Root come down <laughs> from the ceiling, from the rafters. And then he has that great line. It's just like, oh, don't be too hard on him. He tries so very hard. It's like, ah, oh, it's the it's ultimate so fuck you. It's it, so it, great. And that, that scene, too, that's that's Borden, right? That, that couldn't be Fallon. Fallon is yeah. not that guy. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I can't even say how how obsessed I was with every moment he was on screen. I was like, "That's that's him." Wait, yeah. is it? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I feel like Freddie <laughs> Gordon got more screen time than than Alfred did. Yes, because yeah. I think I think that's how they live their life. Yeah. Um, Freddie is the one that can get them the the attention, the notoriety, because he's he's loud. He's he he, he busts things open. And, yeah. and Fallon really likes hanging back. Mm. He likes studying the craft of the magic and how it happens. Freddie's the one who comes out of the mm. box. Alfred is the one who goes in. Yes. Oh, dude. Yes. Yeah. And no one cares about the man who goes into the box. No one does. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so like he's able to escape in the end. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He walks out when all the copies are dead. Yeah. yeah. So question, I, I just wanted to open this up because I, I wasn't too clear. I have a theory, but I want to ask you guys. Huh. Who was it that gets mm. his fingers shot off? Was it Freddy or was it Fallon? I don't know, man. I, I think it was Freddy. I'm going to say that. Hmm. I don't. I think it was Fallon. Okay. Why? I think the, because the show sucks. Yeah. Yeah. The show is really bad. He's there. He's like, see these iron rings? <laughs> clink, clink. Boom. And they're like, yeah, we saw that before, asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and he has no style. Oh my god, okay, okay, okay. That is all he ever does besides the transported man. He just like clinks together those stupid rings on every single performance, and it's like, dude, everyone knows they're rings. rings. I I said everybody knows there's you could have a deck of cards, you could be doing anything with coins, you would have these stupid ass rings. What is your problem? But but to go back to your theory, like, yeah, no, that's oh, I think one of the things that proves that it is uh Fred, that it's Fallon that gets his finger shot off is that later on you see uh, Alfred and he had and uh, yes, Sarah is yeah. going over his wounds with him and he's and she says oh it's right. just like the day that they happened right? right and then he gets really angry at her and every time he gets angry at her that's it's always, always the one yeah, that right. does not love her you're right you're so yeah that had, right. yeah. and that's like that must be yeah. the last time that Fallon takes the stage because I because they they don't show they don't show Borden doing his tricks very often they show they show that one with the rings he gets his finger shot off then they show the transported man and then he's not on stage again until he he, he sabotages angier's show and that's definitely freddie yeah and then i don't think he's ever on stage again well no it, so i think i do think he's the one who goes into the box um when he's yes. on stage again right because doesn't he go do the transported man i, I think does yeah, he not do the just, transported man again he only does it one time right yeah, you only see him do it one time, but they, I think he says later on, right, at the grand reveal at the end, that when they switch, it's yeah. doing yeah. the transported oh, man. 
That's right. No, you're right. It was it switched. So it, it, one yeah. day it was one of them. One day it was the other. That's true. Right. So on screen, I think we only ever really see at, at that point that you're talking about, Vito. I think yeah, we only see Freddy, but like realistically. They have sure, a perfect sure. 50 Because they, they both talk about how it, they each had ha- exactly half a life, and they like that. They were happy with that. Yeah. And honestly, sometimes it would be really nice if, uh, kind of like clocking out of work, if you went to your, your double and it's like, all right, this happened, this happened, this happened. Started this fight with the wife. Uh, you need to fix that. Um, also, this thing at work, I punched my boss, so we don't have a job. So you need to either go and apologize or get us a new one. Uh, I'm going to go to bed, and I'll see you later. <laughs> It's like what I do with with future me all the time, except I'm the only one paying for it. (laughs) All right. But watching it now as an adult and seeing this whole plot go through, I don't think it makes sense. (laughs) What what does it make make sense? sense? (laughs) It does. I don't think any reasonable person would possibly come up with this plot (laughs) because if you, if you were actually this dedicated to this twin swap idea, you would just go get a normal job and just work <laughs> half the time. This is this is the engineer in you talking, Jesse. <laughs> or, yeah, honestly, this guy could be an engineer, right? And he could be working. He could be working weekends. He could get promoted, and really, you're only yeah, working yep, like four yeah. to three you're days. Are working? You're each working full time. He could be that you're working double time. Yeah, you take the self. You take the selfishness and the, uh, yeah. the over commitment to craft in the characters of this film, and you have a, a normal, happy life. <laughs> Man. A damn narcissism and uh, <laughs> obsession always gets in the way of everything. You, you know what you really need to be? I think you really just need to be John uh, Christopher Nolan. That's it. You just need to be Christopher Nolan. You get to be both. You're a crazy obsessive. You're an outdoor genius. And uh, yeah, that's all there is to it. I, I found it kind of unbelievable that, that people who are this yeah. devoted to their craft, that they would spend half a life doing it, would also decide to fall in love with or to like make fa- make a family. Why would you get married? Yeah, it's just like... Mm. it. It it seems like they've they've devoted so much of their time to not doing that, like to to they've committed so hard, like that kind of a break. That's like a lifetime long break. Also, I would be the one killing Borden if I was Fallon because you drove my wife to suicide. Yeah, man, are you insane right now? Yeah, I am your best friend in the world, and you killed my spouse. Yeah, I'm gonna kill you now. Like, screw the real man. Like, mm. like I'm the real man. You're dead now. Yeah. Well, but I mean, like, to be fair, it's also his fault. Like, he is also the one who was like, yeah, I'm good with this he whole went along thing with where, it. like, my brother, my twin is going to pretend to be me to my wife. Yeah. yeah. And the father of my child. Yeah. And, you know, like, like they're, they're both kind of messed up. What? A- and, like, if I was Freddie, I'd, I'd, like, I'd be like, I'd be like, dude, you fell in love with this. Like, you married this person and had a baby. Like. We had this thing going, bro, and now I have to pretend to be in love with her? And now I have to be a decent human being at the very least, which is apparently really hard for Alfred Borden, by the way. Really difficult to be a decent person. Freddie Borden. Yeah, Fred. Okay, Freddy. whatever. Dude, just to, um, like, keep our timeline straight or something. It's more confusing <laughs> to say Freddie. We're, we're saying Alfred, Freddie, and Fallon, all kind of referring to the same sort of person. Well, well Al- Alfred oh. and Freddie are one, and then Fallon is the other one. And Fallon is the other one. Yeah, because he's the, he's the one that's, that's more in the back. He's the quieter one, the, the sweeter one, the but one that loves Sarah. Alfred and Freddie, like... They're interchangeable. Interchangeable. Because, okay. because Olivia calls Alfred Freddie. The way... Well... It's interchangeable the way we've been saying it, but in all reality, I okay. they're both named. Yeah, I Alfred. wonder what his real name is. And they're Alfred and Al Bread. 
<laughs> there we go. Okay. Wait, this ties into something that I've been kind of like working through. Like, who who do you think is the good guy here? Is there a good guy here? Is there a protagonist exactly here? Are you just kind of like this is a story oh, oh, and there's okay. people? I think those are two separate questions. Okay, hmm. because yeah, sure. I think I, at least when I watched the movie when I was a kid, and the way I've watched it every time, it sort of naturally was assuming that Borden was the protagonist and always being kind of angry at Angier because Angier is the less principled one of them. He's the one that's more quick to stoop to devious methods. Like he doesn't want to be the best magician. He wants to be the best magician by stealing the trick. Yeah. So he He just wants to be better than Borden. Borden wants to be the best. But I think that, Angier is supposed to be kind of the good guy because Borden killed his wife. Yeah. That's what starts the whole thing. And also his own wife. Yes. So so I think that's I think like we're supposed we're set in the place of Borden rooting against Angier, at least I was, but really mm. it should be the other way. And maybe that's another sleight of hand the movie is doing. What do you guys what do you, what do you think, Austin? Who are you rooting for? Well, I, I'm rooting for neither of them. I think uh, it's watching two men's lives fall apart, but in different ways. So I don't think that there has to be a good a good guy in this particular film, mm-hmm. which is maybe kind of a cop out answer. But no, but I mean, it, it's a real answer. It, it, it's it's yes, no, or na. Yeah, <laughs> all of the above. I think Vito, that you might side more with the person getting the revenge, though. In, in typically, in films. I think you should. So, uh, you were expected to. We're, right? we're probably expected to. Yes. But uh, then I think, like, what, to your point, the way that it goes back and forth between the two, and they're each doing increasingly terrible things to each other. Right. Um, I think you very quickly lose the sympathy that you had for both and slowly start to realize that this creeping obsession is devouring them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you might, you it's, might be, yeah. I don't, I don't know. What, what are you two guys saying? What, Jesse or Mike, which one do you guys want to go? Uh, no, I, man, I, yeah, I'm with Austin here. I think they both slowly corrupt because at the end, like, the end is. They both end up killing each other. Yeah. Right? They both murder each other to some degree. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like, hey, yeah, you've seen this slow corruption. And Borden is such an asshole. Why doesn't he just say, like, he tied the wrong knot or he tied it too tight? Tell him, tell Angier something. Yeah. Right? Don't just tell him, I don't know every single time he's asked. Like, any. Well, it's Fallon. That's Fallon any, saying that. Borden knows what knot he tied. Yeah. And, and to be clear, to be clear, like Alfred and Fallon, right? Like of the two, I think I think Fallon is the I think he's the better human being. Oh, for sure, probably. For sure. Al- Alfred is by far the, more the asshole, but even even Fallon is such a dick just because he doesn't ever tell Angier what knot was tied. Because chances are he does know. Yeah, how could he not? Yeah. yeah, I really don't understand how he couldn't. And then also, like, he is the one that ends up murdering Angier. When frankly, at the end, think about it, he doesn't need to. He can just walk away. Angier would never know that he exists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he needs so to get that's revenge. a needless wanton murder. Well, that, that's revenge huh. for his brother being hmm. killed in in a lot of ways by Angier because his brother didn't kill Angier. He didn't have anything to do with it. Angier killed himself and framed. Borden for it in revenge for him right. killing his wife. Right. Yeah. So and, then he a, killed and, and also being a better mu- magician. Uh, yeah. I think it's actually at that point, it's because he's a better magician. I think you're right. Because of that scene when, when he uh, says, I don't care when, about my wife. Exactly. Yes. Ah. I w- yeah. I want to know his secret. I don't care yeah. about my wife. Yeah. I kind of think Borden is supposed to be the good guy. 
or not Borden, uh, Fallon. Yeah. Fallon for sure. But yeah. also because he's mm-hmm. only half of a person really. Yeah. Borden is more the good guy, but I also think Angier is the protagonist. That, that's what I was trying to, yeah. trying to get yeah. at. Is yeah. That, think, is that yeah. We definitely should be like, we definitely are in his place because we yeah. don't know the secret behind Borden, but we do yeah. know the secrets of Angier. And, and we get like what his motivations mm-hmm. are. Those are the clear ones. We think we get what Borden's are, but then we find out the end is, is really when you discover what his motivations are. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's always from, from Angier's POV g- generally. Yeah. Right. Cause we, we get the secrets of him. And the rug is pulled out from under us at a certain point, but we just spend a lot more time with Angier going to Colorado and the mm. meetings with Tesla and then all of his different shows and then going out with Cutter, Michael Caine's character, setting up the different apparatuses, like a lot more time is with him. And mm. like the people are more, the people within it are more relational to him than they are to Borden. Yeah. Mm. So he's definitely the, the no one knows what's going on with Borden. Yeah. Yeah. The final secret about Borden is not revealed to the end, but we know what's happening with, Tan- with uh, Angier. Yeah. Until yeah. the final secret of Angier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That Borden doesn't care about, right? Because Borden isn't right. out because he doesn't. He's not. He doesn't. As, as yeah, Michael Caine says in the beginning right. of the movie, "Aren't you worried he's going to steal your secrets?" He goes, "No, I'm not. He's more about method." Yeah, yeah. And that's why Andrew's like, "Look around you," and he goes, "I don't care. I don't care. I just want to kill you." And now you're dead. And now I'm leaving <laughs> with my daughter. Great. And the only thing he can't resist at the end is just like just looking just a little bit to see what's there. But he doesn't really seem that shocked by it. He just moves on. He's like, "All right, cool." He's like this guy <laughs> killed himself. How many times? A hundred times. A hundred times. A hundred yeah, times. A lot. <sighs> it's so horrific. Uh, more more, yeah. more than a hundred because of the test runs. Yeah. We don't know how many test runs he did. He definitely did one where he shot himself. What What is that final reveal? Because you know you know that what's going on is that he's killing himself. Like you get that. You, you put, I feel like I remember I put that together when <laughs> you realize that what's happening is um, like you realize that the trap door is opening he fell into the box underneath and drowned. Like, yeah. you know that at the beginning that he drowns. Yeah. And you put together like, oh, he goes through a trap door at the bottom. But what you don't realize is that he doesn't know who's dying. He doesn't know if he's staying alive. Right. And so he's just decided like, I don't know who comes out on the other side, if it's me or if it's the other guy. Mm. And like, that's just such a, oh, yeah, that's creepy. It's like flipping a coin with uh, your consciousness being copied. It's like either my consciousness is going to come out on the right side or like it's my same, yeah. my, my same being, but uh, in, in, a, in the negative place. And it kind of makes you, you know, if the copy of you is a perfect copy, does it matter which one is you? Right? Like, mm. I, think, I think it's a big question that being, that's being asked here. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't matter in, Ten- in both a good no. way and a bad way, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, what? No, I'm tentatively going to answer that question with a no. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. because it's, <laughs> it's just it, as no. bad if you kill yourself, if it's you or if it's just another you, right? Yeah. It's still yeah. murder or suicide. <laughs> and probably both. Yeah, yeah. You are ending your own existence, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what a way to, what yeah. a way to go to choose uh, drowning as the method. Yeah, what an ass. Yeah. And also, like, is there anything more horrific than, like, killing yourself? over and over and over again because like like it seems more understandable like in fact we kind of want to believe that maybe every time he was killing himself it was a different version of himself it wasn't quite himself but no in all reality it is himself because that is more humane rather than like having that lack of empathy which i which i right? think he does demonstrate <laughs> though towards the end of the movie when cutter comes to his house and he's revealed as is 
is uh, another reveal of Angier, right? Is that he's actually not Angier. He's actually Lord Caldwell. Yeah. Caldlow. And Cutter doesn't know that. And he is so dead. As Olivia said, it's inhuman to be so cold. But he's so cold in that scene. He's got his rival's daughter acting as his ward in his house. He has condemned him, as far as he knows, to death by framing him for what he actually did, which is killing himself. And then he looks at Cutter and is like, yeah, what's the problem? Like, I got a secret. I won. I don't, I don't see what your, what your issue is. Like, he, he's lost yeah. all traces of humanity. Yeah. I was confused why Michael Caine didn't go and, like, try to stop the, the execution. Maybe it happened before. It already happened. It did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he goes up there, he says, abracadabra, hangs. And then I think then it cuts to Michael Caine at, at Angier's house. I thought it was before, but I could be wrong. Like it was, it was flipped. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I mean, because within those different timelines that we have, we also have flashbacks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's too many of those to even name. And, well, flash but, forwards too. Cause it begins and flash forward, it begins yeah. with the isolated image. And then the flash forward of Michael Caine showing the trick to Borden's oh, daughter. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. And then the movie ends with that. Oh sh- yeah. My word. Yes. Oh, what a movie. What a movie. Um, I, I can't. Yeah. So I think the hanging happened before. Yeah. But that makes no sense. I mean, I, I don't think we need to get too hung up on that. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good shit. Uh, I just I think it's super symbolic at, at the end that they're in the same place. Ultimately. And they, they both seem extraordinarily cold, like Fallon also seems extraordinarily cold in that scene too when he's finally explaining everything and then and then he commits murder like genuine murder and again it's not as bad as what angier did but it still seems pretty bad yeah it's cold-blooded murder yeah he literally shot a guy and watched him die yep yep while explaining why he's a better person i mean it (laughs) was that's a that's pretty the only time it's okay to shoot a man watch him die is if you're in (laughs) reno that's the only time it's um it is like it does feel good to me though like i did feel good scene yeah i i had forgotten that uh, and Jir has his daughter, though. So that actually does make it a little better. It's like a taken scenario. You know, the dad comes yeah, in. He's, he's taking, he her, he's taking her away from her life of luxury with someone who's <laughs> going to raise her well, wanting for nothing. <laughs> right. May as well get her out of that shit show. And Let's now, take her and back now to he has streets. no career at all nope. because he doesn't have his, his act. Or two fingers. Or two fingers. <laughs> right. in, in, What's in, he going to do? <laughs> oh, my God. Hopefully he puts oh, some, poor daughter. Hopefully he puts some money away during that whole career. Yeah. You know, and Borden just didn't like drink at all. Yeah, yeah. I think he did. And he spent it on houses and stuff. Yeah, I bought this. I bought this this brownstone. <laughs> she's like, "Can we afford it?" He's like, "Ah, I don't we know. will. It'll work out. We will." <laughs> that was your strategy in buying a house too, right, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I before we leave Borden and Gen and Angier behind, uh, I wanted to ask like. Like we seem to understand Angier. I I think I know exactly what that dude wants. Yeah. But I'm still so confused about Borden. What I, I don't know his life's goals other than being a really good magician and doing a trick that nobody else can do. Besides that, I do not understand the guy. That sounds pretty good mm, because I, I he is it. of a fickle and contradictory nature. As they say. Yeah. As they say. Like I, I really think that's it. I mean, the whole thing in the beginning when he's ranting against uh, Milton's act 
you know, played by the wonderful Ricky Jay. Um, yeah, he says, he's boring. He doesn't care. <laughs> um, he's predictable. He's boring. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then he's like, he won't even try a bullet catch. And they all slap him down. He's like, all right, well, not a bullet catch. But like, you know what I mean? Magic. <laughs> something amazing. <laughs> I'm waiting for something amazing to happen. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> um, Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really think that's it, though. I, I don't think he has... I think Fallon is the one that has a lot more of the character, but we don't see him enough. All we know from him is he likes being in the back. He likes making these illusions. He likes understanding how this stuff works and he falls in love and wants a family. Like, and Borden wants the high life. Like when he shows up and, and at the dinner with Sarah and she says, you didn't even take off like the, the fake mustache. And he goes, I just came off the stage everyone loves it uh he just he, he wants to be that self-aggrandizing worshipped personality as he, as he says you know you can't give away the secret he has the secret everyone wants it he's the most important person the, the this reminds me that i think borden's and fallon's and uh Andrew's motivations are all the same they don't want the perfection of their craft so much as they just want the 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 prestige that com- that comes from the that comes from the whole act um, I think they want to have like the appearance of being the best and being on top, but they don't actually want to be the best magician. That, that's what it seems like to me. What do you guys think? Like, like recognized as the best. Recognized yeah. as the best. But yeah. w- whether or not that's actually being the best, it seems irrelevant. Yeah. Do you think that's true of Fallon? I don't, uh, I don't know. No, I don't think it is. But well, at least, at least just for him, because I definitely <laughs> agree with I definitely agree with Angier and Borden, and I'm I'm I would say that for Fallon. Like I was saying earlier, I don't know if he cares as much. It seems like he just likes knowing how things work. I think, well, I think that it's clear. I think he has to love magic. Like he loves doing magic. Mm -hmm. He thinks it's incredible. And that rant that he gives, that one of them gives, I think could very well have been Fallon. I'm giving that rant about how, uh, what's the name? The the one that we were just talking about. No, that's definitely Borden. He's drunk as hell. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. I think, but I, I think Fallon could have given that rant as well because he is obsessed with. Well, magic well the time that you see Fallon love magic. Okay, is hold that, on, hold well, on. One, one rant that Fallon legitimately does give is when he first meets Sarah and then is talking yes, to her yes. son, and he pulls the coin behind the ear and he says, "Like this is a trick," and he tells him something like, "Like no matter how much anyone begs or how much money they give you, don't tell them because once once you told them, then then." You're nothing to yeah. them. That, that's exactly the scene yeah. I was going to bring up because it, it's for sure Fallon. Because if you watch him when he's bringing the stuff up to the stage, he's so quiet and he's kind of like he's got his head down. He just wants to be in the background. He puts the birdcage on and then he just retreats as fast as he can back to the end of the stage to look at Sarah some more. Like yeah. he's it, there's a very furtive kind of shy nature about him, and I, I think I think you're right. Mm-hmm. That is the rant. So he and Borden are both about the secret. And Angier wants the secret. So I, th- I think you're still right. I think you're still right, Austin. Yeah. Um, but okay. Fallon is just less ambitious. Well, yeah. I, I think that Angier and, and Freddy, they are they, they like the magic or whatever, but they're more about like the the applause yeah. and like like the the lights in the crowd. Whereas Borden or, or Fallon, sorry, he he's about the being the best. And okay. having the best trick, like he wants Ooh. the best trick, not the best mm-hmm. show. Like he doesn't care if people applaud. He's committed to the craft. That's what Michael Michael Caine's always saying. Like yeah. he's a better magician, you're a better showman. Yeah, he's really referring to yeah, Fallon. actually, yeah, yeah. And there's one other quote I can bring up that I know Fallon says, and it's near the end, right when well, it's Borden arguing with himself, 
right? Well, he looks like he's arguing to Fallon, but at first it starts out with, with Freddy and he's being crazy, being like, how does he do it? How does he transport himself across the room in a couple seconds? And then it switches to Fallon, who's now all calm and just says, okay, we're done. Uh, he's come up with a better trick. That's it. Right. Don't go over yeah. there. Yeah, right. All right. Yeah, so all he just wants perfection. And once he's not on top, it's nothing. He's an all or nothing person. I this guess. makes me more convinced, too, that he's the quote unquote good guy. Yeah. I mean, I think I think we're supposed to get that even just from the end when he gets to get his daughter. And then, as you say, the taken esque situation. But <laughs> it because he, he's he's really the better man. He had the the purity of the craft mm. at his heart. Mm. Not when, the glitz. When, when posed okay. with the question, "Why can't you outthink him?" He, his yes. an, his answer has like kind of one of humility, like, "I can't outthink him." So I guess like we're just gonna be, we'll 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 just cap it here and uh, don't go near him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good insight. Okay. Uh, uh, should we take a, a quick break, real quick? Okay. Are we good? We're good. Right. All right. Five. So uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up and, and ask you guys what your thoughts were was um, what, what do you think of the way that this movie sort of handles women in, in the movie? How, how, how does Nolan treat women in, in this movie? I think it's very brave. I think it's very, <laughs> very on the on the, the hairy edge of progressivism. Oh, I can do. you say more about that? Not really. No, uh, this is a hard bit to keep up. <laughs> uh, I, I would say that it's 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 the same criticism that has been leveled at Nolan for his entire career. He uses women as in as characters in his movies as plot devices. They tend not to have a lot of arc to them. A, a notable exception to this is uh, again kind of a sister movie to this is Interstellar. But generally he's a very male focused director, which is fine. I mean, you focus on the subjects that you want to focus on. It's yeah. you get to make the art that you want to make. But it has to be noted that multiple times he does the bare amount of character work necessary for us to understand that a woman is important. And then oftentimes uses their death to drive the plot forward. It is usually their death, death of wives or girlfriends or women in the plot is a, a pivotal turning point in every single one of his movies I'd with the exception of Dunkirk. I'd say it's true here. I mean, we've got two deaths. Yes. Two out of three. Yeah. Two out of three. Mm-hmm. And only yeah. one of them, only Olivia, who is playing kind of the most seedy role in this movie, mm-hmm. kind of acting as a femme fatale, if we're talking in noir terms, she's the only one that has the gumption to stand up and say, yeah, this situation is weird and gross, and I don't like it, and I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, she says, I don't like you to both of but, our But what, Jesse? You raise a caveat. So, yeah, I I mostly agree with with that. But I, well, yeah, first off, Olivia is kind of the exception, right? She's the one who doesn't die. And also, you know, she does have like a a tangled love affair of her own choice with the Bordens and with uh, Angier at first, right? So like, she's not just like somebody, like in our original Spider-Man episode, when we were talking about like Mary Jane, she's just swept up and whatever's around her. And Olivia's not that she's somebody who's making up her mind, making up. She, she drives the story forward meaningfully with her choices. Well, No, she's used. Um, well, ultimately she's used. And like, it would honestly, it would be too much in this movie. If there was a third person who was also a mastermind. <laughs> so I'm happy it turned out this way for the sake of the plot. But like, but she's used 
but by her own choice, right? And she's ultimately loved at the end and just chooses to reject it once she realizes how messed up it is. That's like, true. she chooses That's to go fair. do something else. That is true. Yeah. Even from the first time you see her, she's got more sort of gumption than than the other two. Yeah, because she's, she's playing the angles in the same way that the, our two main characters, our three main characters are, right? Yeah. She sees that it's a game and she wants to use it but in in a way that I would say I would stick it to Christopher Nolan again, though, and turn it around before he seems like all redemptive because he managed to write a female <laughs> character that was putting one over on the boys. She doesn't. She's complicit in everything and not even complicit. She's an active tool that she's willingly placing herself in the hands of these two. I mean, dare I say it, filmmakers to be used as a weapon against each other. And I, I think that's I don't know if that's necessarily intentional or if it's saying anything and I'm not even saying I get a yucky feeling about it, but she she's a tool in the movie, even if she's a willing tool. And that, that's what I would say. I think that exemplifies further this idea that Nolan has exemplified in his career, which is that he uses women to get his protagonists where they need to get to. They don't seem to have much of an interior life beyond the protagonists. Certainly Olivia doesn't. Yeah. Well, actually, I was going to say she actually does. I I do think that what you're saying is true, um, but I do think that also what Jesse is saying is true. Um, She does actually have a life outside of them. She's the one who brings in uh, the double four inch years. What's his name? How is that Um, outside of them? it, it, It you get the sense that she has this whole life that's outside of there and this like this uncomfortable moment where Angier's looking at her being like all buddy buddy with this out of work actor and he's like, you know people who aren't me like you could have a romantic relationship outside of me like what this is bad like this is horrible like it's it's very small um, but it's definitely there and it helps to build the tension in their sort of love affair maybe bear sort of the the barest necessary to build her up as a character is given but there is something given to to her as a character that exists outside of this story yeah i think I think you're absolutely right, Mike. It's like plot wise, right? She's totally entangled with the two main protagonists of the movie. You do get a sense that she does have a life outside. And it's similar to the way that Cutter is simply just a device Mm. for the two protagonists. Mm. It seems like maybe he has a life outside, but you don't really see much of anything else. In fact, the only two people in this movie who really have real fleshed out characters at all are the two protagonists. Everybody else, it's, they don't really matter. Cutter, Cutter though, it's interesting you bring him up and I would, I I, I can, I can see it, Mike. It is definitely, it is something. Yeah. But with Cutter, he actually has an arc. He goes from being all in on these two guys, you know, and then he knows that Borden's a great magician. He's all in on Borden. He hired Borden. He moves through that, but he's mostly with Angier because Borden has his own, you know, uh, apparatus maker. He doesn't need Cutter. So Cutter's with Angier to the bitter end, testifies against Borden. Then the monster of Angier is unveiled to him and he helps Borden. He he goes through a whole thing yeah. of believing, believing in these two people, watching them destroyed by obsession, and then tries to do his very best to get them out of it. Like he, he, he has a, an arc minimal, but it's something, a change in character and it does a kind of go along with Olivia's changing character. She realizes she's not loved and gets, and you know, GTFOs, but hmm. I, I, I think there's, there's more done with him, but I do concede there is something done with um, Olivia. 
Um, Austin, yeah. what, what do you think? Do you have anything to, to add in about the role of women in, in Nolan writ large or in uh, anything else? I, had, I hadn't really heard the theory that he uses women mostly as plot devices just to get things going, but or, or just to advance like the, the male characters. But that sounds about right. I don't know. I, I don't know how much more to add on top to what, what you've already said. I feel like that expounds on it pretty well. I, I, I want to add just I, I was kind of disturbed by um, I don't know when when Sarah dies, when she kills herself. That was kind of a weird thing because it I don't know. It's really disturbing and it didn't really feel like it got a whole lot of play. Um, in the movie, which just kind of adds to that. It's like, it's a plot device. It's very important that this happens, but it's not really that important that we dwell on it, mm. um, which I found kind of kind of weird. I don't know. I, I thought the way that uh, Sarah hung herself like very quickly and very immediately with almost like no real emotional tor- turmoil just was like very av- abrupt. And it was just like, oh, okay. Like she was here and now she's gone. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, well... Sarah's a weird case because like, again, (laughs) this is a two hour, 10 minute movie and there are a lot of moving characters. So her, her role in the film still makes a lot of sense to me. And it's still, the death really does rope me in. It really does. It really did tell me that Sarah is somewhat of her own person. Even if she only exists within the life of Borden, she hated it so much that she did the only thing that was available to her to get outside of it, which was to kill herself. Or she could, like, leave. <laughs> oh, well, I, too, mu- too much I emotional mean, investment for that. I wonder if she could in that society. Yeah. In, in, in modern day, yeah, she could. But I'm not sure, like, what does she have available to her? She is a mother. I'm not sure if there's anything else she has going on. She she obviously had some, I just I just want to say, like, it's it's a it's a weird thing to say at the turn of the century in the industrial revolution that was happening that there was no option to a woman with a child who had an emotionally absent partner than either suicide or continuing. And I, I don't say this to criticize her character. I say this to criticize the writing of her character. Like what Austin's saying is she jumps really fast from the one conversation she has with with Borden, not Fallon, where she's saying where she's kind of uh, in hysterics in a way. Um, she's very keyed up as as you would be because you have this this person that's supposed to be the most important person in your life gaslighting mm-hmm. you, telling you everything's not not wrong, but you know there is. And then to go right from that to being like, I'm going to go hang myself in his office, right? Well, right. it, it's actually, it's okay. not just that, though. I mean, like, you get the sense, I mean, they've been together for several years. I feel like I'm um, not giving it that short a shrift. Well, uh, no, but I mean, like, it's not that he's just been gaslighting her. He's actually confirmed her worst sort of nightmare, which is that, no, today I do not love you. He's yeah. never told her that. Before. Sure, he's being a dick about she, it. She said, oh. uh, today you love me, today you don't. And then she says, no, you need to answer. Yeah. T- t- you need to answer me honestly. Do you love me? He says, I don't today. He answers her honestly. Mm. I mean, like, dude, like she, she did have a job beforehand, but, but like, that's dude, what do you do then? The person that you love doesn't love you. You kill yourself. Probably not kill yourself. Actually. I would not answer <laughs> that one. What, what were you going to say, Austin? Well, sorry. sorry. What, what are you oh, say? no, it just, it's, it seemed kind of stupid because it seemed like she was like feeding that kind of response. It's like she was anticipating that he didn't love her in the first place anyway, because she, gave different responses to based on the day. Like, Oh no, you, you don't love me today, but you do love me today. It's like, she suspected in her mind the whole time. Like, Oh, I am not a person who is loved in this context, in this storyline, however you want to interpret it. So as soon as he said, no, I don't love you today. It's like, well, I knew that the whole time. So I guess I'm just going to go hang myself. And it just, it, it seems to confirm that like, she didn't have any 
like importance or substance of her own. Okay. When, when I heard the line, I don't love you today, I didn't take it as her understanding it as just as I don't love you today. Hmm. I took it as Alfred confirming the fact that they are switching, that he's a twin and they're switching. Hmm. Cause she says she's onto him. Like she knows the secret. She doesn't say oh, what it yeah. is. And I think that is that is the confirmation. She's actually just learned not that Borden doesn't sometimes love him, but her husband isn't her husband and refuses, refuses to be with her for whatever stupid reason. And this is her life. I, 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 again, suicide. I don't remember that exact uh, interchange, so I can't speak to it exactly. But still, I. I Maybe we should move on a little bit past this point because I feel like we're stuck. But um, there are options other than killing yourself. Yeah. Even at the time, maybe they sucked. What about her family? What about what? What about going back home? What about anything? What about the fact that she had a child? Yes. You know. Yeah. You're gonna abandon your child to these two crazy mfers? What are you (laughs) doing? How selfish! Would do something and look. I would believe that maybe she would make a different choice. All I know is she wants to be loved. That's it. Another thing is that I think she's also gone a little bit insane at this point. Remember, they have been married for years. She's been emotionally gaslighted for years. She's been emotionally manipulated for years. That does have a certain toll on her. And whatever it was, the one thing that does convince me about this is that storyline, that scene where she kills herself, that's what hooked my wife into the movie. That's when she's just like, oh, yeah, that. Yeah, she was like, oh. That, that was really moving and it, it made some sense and she understood oh, wow. it. That's interesting. My, my wife was like, oh yeah, like I understand this, but also she was kind of upset. She's like, it's, it's not enough. Like we need to spend some more time on this hanging body. It's just kind of like off center. And so that, that that's two, yeah. uh, what would seem to be opposing viewpoints, but yeah. I think they actually marry really Probably. beautifully yeah. um, because that got your wife interested in watching the movie. And that takes place like an hour into the movie. <laughs> So that's interesting. But then over here with what Mike is saying, I agree with that as well. Like, why isn't there more than if this character's death is supposed to shock me? Why don't I care? Yeah. Like, I don't really care that I care that she was a nice person and a nice person is dead. What is who was she? I don't know who she is. And so for my wife, just to give the to round out the perspective, like <laughs> she's seen this movie a ton of times. So when yeah. she sat down to watch it with us and I, she's like, oh, yeah, that's happening. And that person and that person. And it was actually like it felt really com- uh, in a, a lot fun. of camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah. Because we both know this movie like inside and out. And we're sitting down. She's like, yeah, that's him. And that's him. And now it's going to happen. Oh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. OK. I, one last thing I want to point out is when you first watch this movie, though, that scene has a slightly different impact. And that is like you are hoping that Borden is the hero and that he's going to turn out to be the good guy. And then once she kills herself, you kind of realize he's never going to have a normal life. He's going to have a depressed, obsessed life, kind of like Angier. Hmm. Yes. Absolutely correct. I agree 100. I, percent When you said that, that did, that did remind me. That was uh, that was a big moment where it felt like the it, it, it using it Michael watershed. Michael Bay parlance. Right. That's when the shit got real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So I, I think we've talked about women enough <laughs> about women. That's leading to, to anything I think, ever. I, I think <laughs> what I would like to say is I think that for now we have addressed the role of women in Christopher Nolan's movies. And I would like to actually revisit this prestige conversation when we discuss his other movies. I imagine mm. it'll be something we talk about with a lot of movies. Nice save. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But now that we've talked yeah. enough about women, Jesse, as you were saying, <laughs> actually turning to the boys. Okay. No, actually, one, one final, final. Oh my minute. gosh. <laughs> one thing that me, <laughs> one thing that me and my wife commented on is that usually, like Scarlett Johansson is in this movie, right? And usually, when she's in a movie, she's overly sexualized. Also in this movie. Mm. I I don't think she was overly sexualized that much in. Not really in this movie. There's like, an interview with the costume designer on the special features where she said, yeah, I designed her costumes to be like, to be fun and fitting and sexy in the way that when you're watching at home, you go, uh, I'd look good in that. It's like an actual quote from her. When you're watching at home, you'd say, I look good in that. But it's not, it's not the same as like, just like dwelling on her butt for like 10 it's, full minutes. It's not <laughs> leering, right? The camera doesn't leer at her at ever. No, um, she just happens to be wearing what a magician's, uh, um, I don't assistant. know, assistant would be wearing at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, it's very, it's very yeah. period specific and, um, it's not like it, very, very eye catching. Yeah. It's not like watching, uh, justice league and then watching, <laughs> uh, Zack Snyder or Joss Whedon, whoever you want to say, uh, <laughs> zoom right into Gal Gadot any moment he can. <laughs> yeah. It's not that. Yeah. Well, I, I think. I think if that's more when she was on stage, but otherwise her character is pretty, I don't know. It's, it's more, it's less, it's less sexy all throughout. Right. Um, it's not, uh, 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 gross. Yeah. And it's something as a dad with a daughter, sometimes I, I look for that stuff now and appreciate that a little more where it's just like, Oh yeah, that's a decent portrayal of a woman that doesn't have to be super sexual. You get to wear normal clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When you're on stage, though, you gotta Thank wear you. like the black thing with the yeah short skirt and stuff. But yeah. but otherwise, you can look normal. Which yeah. <laughs> which also feeds into the whole like this is actually about making movies. Maybe when she's on stage, that's like the actress trying to be all sexy and overly overly sexualized. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she's not, mm-hmm. and she's actually kind of a normal actress. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Okay, sorry. That was my last final note about that. Another thing that I had one talk about in this movie is surprisingly David Bowie shows up out of nowhere yeah. as Nikola Tesla walking so cool. through a and storm of lightning. What an <laughs> oh. It's so good. Um, and I didn't realize that when I was a teenager, that that was David yeah. Bowie. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, I've of course heard his music and I've watched Labyrinth. I've seen him dance around in really tight <laughs> times. <laughs> You've seen the cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> David so Bowie can morph see... into anything and anyone. That yes, he yes, <laughs> yeah. Oh my, he's actually a good actor. It's kind of unbelievable to me. Like I couldn't believe that he was on screen. I d- he's a famous personality. I didn't recognize him, and I didn't under like I didn't recognize the way he was talking. He seemed like the genuinely like physicist, wiser than me sort of character, and that was amazing to see him play mm. that. Yeah. yeah, he there's a there's two notes I have about that. Number one, um, so he is known for being in I think it's Nicholas Rogue's film, The Man Who Fell to Earth. I might be getting the director wrong. Please correct mm. me. I'd love it if you did. He he played an alien in that, and it's uh it's a very haunting portrayal. Um, if anyone's seen Under the Skin, also starring Scarlett Johansson, she's kind of in the David Bowie role there, 
And it's a really interesting kind of switch off now that they're both in the same movie. I'd love to talk about that at, at length at some point. But the second note was that Christopher Nolan said, you know, this, if David Bowie, there was no question, it had to be him. It could only be him. There was no one else on the docket. David Bowie's got to play it. And when you see him walk yeah. on screen, you go, I oh. actually see it. I, yeah. The lopsided mustache, the, the, the insane eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. For for this man that's wrapped yeah. in enigma, you know, I mean, historically, the, the, it's really hard to, to nail down. Right. The mystique that he already had as a as a musician and performer. Yeah. As yep. Ziggy Stardust or the Thin White Duke mm. <laughs> or many of his other personas. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. As soon as he walks yeah. through the, the electrical field, uh, it's like there's even more of a sense of like, oh, who's that guy? I, I, I love yeah. him. I'm such a huge fan of his work. And any time that I get a little bit more Bowie now that he's gone, it, it's, a, it's a treat for me. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. we need to talk more about Bowie just as a culture and also as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> also, apparently Christopher Nolan, like he had him in mind, but David Bowie apparently turned the role down when he was first asked. Really? And Christopher Nolan had to beg David yeah. Bowie to be in yeah, the movie. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. What I would picture Christopher Nolan begging would be like, Mr. Bowie, it would really mean a lot to us. If you did this movie, <laughs> I, 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 I want to say the, I want to say the Christopher Nolan I flew out personally to meet him, or like flew, or or vice versa, flew Bowie out to meet him personally, and mm. showed him like the script and and exactly what was going to happen. And then David Bowie was like, "All right, I like it." Yeah, that's cool. I feel like something like that happened. What a concept uh, creative professional! If I'm wrong, but no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. That's a, that's a very Christopher Nolan thing because he he famously doesn't like email. Um, he doesn't have a cell phone. Mm. He, he's known for hand delivering scripts to the people he wants to star in his movies. He's wow. known for like, it's hi, I'm Christopher Nolan. Here's a manila envelope with the script. I will come back in two hours and I will take that from you. And you will tell me if you'll do it or not. But then uh, uh, I think maybe we should talk a little bit now that we're here, now that we have an excuse, we should talk a little bit about who Christopher Nolan is as a filmmaker, maybe as a, as a creator. Um, I know this is going to come up a bunch as we go through, because I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say, we're probably going to do an episode on every single one of his movies uh, <laughs> with the exception of following. And I'm sorry for fans of following, but I just, <laughs> I watched it once and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> what I think maybe just really quickly, just to set out some, some ground, rules that we can work with here. What is Christopher Nolan known for? Uh, Mike, in, in earlier conversations, you had mentioned that Christopher Nolan is a, is a master of, um, how did you put it? Misdirection. Misdirection. Yes. Time. Misdirection. Yeah. Uh, probably both. And misdirection. At the same time. time. Uh, yeah. He's, Maybe he's at a, different times. <laughs> he, he's making magic tricks with all of his movies, right? Yeah. Uh, even those that play out sequentially and in an understandable order, something like The Dark Knight, still has that reveal at the end, Right where finally the Joker is up and he's caught him. Cue half an hour of Two-Face stuff now. (laughs) He always has this very showman-like quality, which is almost belied by how calmly and sedately he films things. You know, he's not a a director that that utilizes a lot of fast cuts. In fact, a lot of times he's trying to slow things down Mm -hmm. uh, because he knows he has so much plot to work with. Um, In terms of Nolan's whole filmography, maybe this is the easiest way to say it because I'm struggling here because he's a big subject out of his whole filmography mm-hmm. where in whatever sense it means to you, where does the prestige land? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> I'd say maybe right in the middle. I, well, I guess one of the things that, that I'd expand upon on in, in what you said is that in, in terms of him being a showman, 
um, a showman. Um, in a lot of ways, the movies, his movies, they don't, I don't want to say they don't hold up to a second viewing, but it's not the same the second time. Never is. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I, I don't know. Listening to an album is never, is never going to be the same as when you go and see the band live. Right. Like you never get the same experience twice. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, like the live show is only going to be, be the live show. Nothing else is going to be that live show. Even though you can listen to the same music, it's not going to be played the same way. They're not going to talk about the same things. It's going to be very different. I feel like he's the filmmaker who does that the most of, of those that I know. And I'd say in terms of like first time watching it, this is, this is right up there with inception and, and, and with the, the dark Knight. I mean, it's just incredible. I think so too. Second time, third time, it, it drops slightly every time you see it and it lands pretty much in the middle because it, I think it relies so heavily on the fact that you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's where I'd put it. Uh, Austin, what do you think? Yeah, because because then at the end of the movie, it's like seeing how the trick works. So yeah, so it it makes more sense with multiple viewings, but I think it's less impactful than the first time. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I wonder if he's like trying to do that too. He wanted to make the the movie that was amazing the first time you saw it, and gets kind of progressively not as amazing, right? And then it's real at the end, and that's part of like the statement that he's making with it. Most disappointing of all, because there is no trick involved. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real. Oh, yeah. Uh, man, Mike, I think I think you just about I think you just about nailed it. Like this movie does kind of suffer like the second time around. And like some of Nolan's movies do. Like maybe s- specifically Memento, but like it's not that much. It's not nearly to the degree that that the prestige does. Like the only other movie I've really seen like this is the usual suspects, which frankly, I don't think I'll ever watch that movie again. Just relied so heavily on a twist. Then he saw it. Then you're like, okay, it's not that I'm done with this movie. It's not that I never want to watch it again. It's just, it suffers from here on out knowing this twist is going to happen. The prestige also suffers from a very Nolan trait on, on continuous viewings, which is, um, I guess Nolan, he writes really good scripts, really good plots, but something about his plots, like if you start like looking at like one of his ideas, like specifically in this movie, it's the twins, right? And the practicality of what they've done. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) And so it's not uh, plausible that they would have done everything that they did. It's not plausible. Like, you know, like they want to keep, their secret about twinship so much that they're hiding it from the wise, but like, didn't they have a mom somewhere that knows that the twins exist? What about their old schoolmates? What about anybody that's known them prior to the decision that they were going to do this like lifelong twin swap? And why is it a magic trick? And why is it like a pretty mediocre magic trick that they're choosing to do for the rest of their <laughs> lives? Because let's be honest, it's not that great. Like it seems like you could come up with something much better than just the transported man. You could do transported just about anything because you have two people. You're you're yourself in different areas. Like, come on, guys, think of something better. <laughs> and then also another giant glaring thing in this movie is like the the Tesla device. Like you just zap somebody with lightning, yeah. and then you're transported and cloned. It makes it's like it's one of the laziest sci-fi devices I've frankly seen in a very long Vito time. And I we're definitely talking about that. Yeah, <laughs> it makes. I know what happens when you zap somebody with lightning. 
you die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's the end of the story. No, but if you go into special blue lightning, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I guess I guess the magic of Nolan as a director is to take these things that don't make sense and then have enough misdirection in the movie to have you not think about them, to keep you thinking about other things and to only keep you thinking about these little plot devices on the surface. So, like, you're supposed to think about Borden and his motivations, but not about the practicalities of the twin swap. Go ahead. Uh, there's kind of a suspension of disbelief there. Yeah. Uh, something that I'd add to that, yeah. too, is that it's almost like at, the more you watch it, the more you realize, like, in a certain way, the characters themselves, they don't really make a ton of sense. The motivations don't make a ton of sense. And maybe this is all something that he's using as a device to talk about something that he's some big idea that he's interested in. Like, what is art? What is the artist? What is a movie? What is the movie maker? Mm-hmm. What is the director? Who are these people? Yeah, okay, it's so interesting that. talking about that uh, and, and where we're kind of going and, and examining other things. And so I, I posited that that Interstellar is a different is a kind of a weird sister to this movie because it, it does a lot of the same things this movie does, but better and worse. <laughs> and then Inception seems to take everything this movie does and try it again. Mm-hmm. And it does a lot of the same kind of stakes. It does the same metaphor for filmmaking. There is the absent, the, sorry, the dead wife that is plaguing the whole film. That's the main driving character's motivations. And I was thinking about where where I would rank it in terms of everything. Mike said the middle. Honestly, like I I loved Inception. I loved Inception for a long time. And the more I watched Inception, the more I loved the set pieces, but the less I liked the characters. Hmm. But the more I mm-hmm. watched the prestige, the more I liked the characters. The specifically Fallon, Borden, Angier. Uh so I would actually put this this is this is top five Nolan for me. And I know that's not saying much because he hasn't even made 10 movies, but I would kick stuff like Interstellar down to the back half of whatever ranking you have. Sorry, not Interstellar, Ince- Inception, the two I movies. Inception to the back half. And I would put this actually up there closer to the, maybe even the top four. Sounds better. I think he does so much more character work here than he than he does often. That's that's a good just, just so Just so I'm clear here, you're saying Mike's right because... Uh, <laughs> It's in the middle. Yeah, but not, not <laughs> at the top. Technically, but not really in terms of feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, we, you, you and I, we just kind of shout all over like the characters and Vito saying like, no, these are these are good characters. No, and I'm going to go ahead and say like, actually, yeah, they are good characters, well, but their baseline motivations don't make sense. Uh, I, no, no, their I, baseline like like backstories don't make sense. Maybe. That's true. But uh, true. As, as Austin said, and maybe the mic didn't pick it up. Um, there is there, suspension of disbelief has to come in here. Yeah. And there's nothing less believable about the cloning machine than there is about the fact that there are dream thieves guys <laughs> dream thieves guys so i, I know man I or, my, or a guy my... that tattoos his body that can only remember five minutes because of the traumatic moment when his wife was killed in front of him okay <laughs> we have to suspend our disbelief at some point especially with the movie about magicians and a sci-fi machine okay <laughs> i don't see you guys poking holes in back to the future but listen i mean I so it, no, it is true jesse that 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 look, is look and also to, to be clear, right, that that is kind of a – it's not really a mark against Nolan at the end of the day because he's such a good director that he can throw anything like this in a movie and still make it work and still make it believable within the framework. So I guess I'm not really shitting all over it. I'm just pointing out that any director who can take all this 
and make something cohesive and really exciting out of something that's completely unbelievable is kind of amazing. I, I would say though, like for me, it would probably be something like Dark Knight, Interstellar, The Prestige, and Memento are probably my top fifty percent, Jesse, of <laughs> no one. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. That that that's what I would say. And I'd put that in the upper echelon. All right. Well, uh, I think if if we're wrapping up, we gotta answer we gotta answer yeah. our normal questions. We got some questions here. All right, so uh let's go uh let's go Mike, Jesse, Austin, and me. How about is this a dad movie? Would you show this to your kids and when? Okay, I uh I'm gonna say I'm going to say, yes, it's a dad movie. Yes, I'll show it to my kids. Uh, and uh, let me talk about that. So it's a dad movie. It's a kind of a very specific type of dad movie, which is like, I kind of feel like almost everything that that Nolan does is going to be a dad movie or like everything up to a point because he's just like defining for me. He His movies were the first like movies. He defined a generation. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, like this is mm. one of the first like movies that I saw. And it just... It, I think it did a lot to change how movies are made and Absolutely. what they talk about. It really, it's so much about, you know, it, it, he does so much character work and he does, he creates, he crafts really this, this kind of intricate story. That's this really awesome payoff. That's kind of a, there's a mystery to it, but he also uses it to talk about very big themes and very big ideas that are really interesting to me. And, uh, and so it definitely, it definitely is there. It, it defines, it defines generation. I think almost everyone our age is going to say like, oh yeah, Christopher Nolan, he's one of the guys, but it's not necessarily one that I'm going to like put on regularly. I could see myself being like, oh yeah, you know, let's turn on the, I got nothing going on. I'm going to turn on the prestige and just like <laughs> enjoy myself, kind of laugh at the movie because I know all of the beats at this point and I know the, the plot twist. But um, I'm very excited to show this to my kids, you know, in probably middle teenage years and be like, hey, you know, you've seen a lot of stuff. Um, here's this interesting movie about magicians. They're like, I don't want to watch a movie about magicians. Hey, you know what? It's family movie night. We're going to watch. The, I, I'm picking the movie tonight. It's going to be the prestige. Not going to tell them anything about it. We're going to go into it and their minds are going to be blown. They're yeah. going to be like, what was this movie? Yeah. And I'm really, really excited for that. Nice. So, yeah. So, Jesse, what about you? Is this a dad movie? Yeah. Oh, man. If I'm not sure if this is a dad movie. Like, honestly, Mike, I think I agree with most of what you were saying. But to me, a dad movie is more of a, a consistent movie. And I like here's the thing. I'm, I'm excited to show this to my kids one time. And partially the reason is because. The, the amazing twist at the end, but all the, the terrible thing about movies with giant twists is that now that the internet exists, most people know what they are or find them out way before they happen. And this is one of those movies that is really, it's really known as being a movie with a twist, but as far as movies with twists, this isn't like the top tier, uh, right? Like this, I don't, I don't know. Or we'd have to get into like maybe a maybe in terms of <laughs> yeah maybe that's a totally different thing. I don't know, man. But maybe it's it'd be like you know it'd be like Star Wars, Memento, Sixth Sense, mm. Usual Suspects, Usual Suspects, Seven, 
Yeah. So there, there's a whole group. And then those are the ones that you're going to see always come up. But I don't really see much about the prestige much is what I'm trying to is what I'm trying to get at. And then like 10 years from now, when my kids are teenagers and I want to show them this movie, I don't really think they'll know anything about it. So I'm excited to show them because I know for a fact they won't know the twist. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Yeah, they'd have to get near a computer with internet access to find the twist. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we don't have computers here. That's right. right. Not in my household. No my daughter won't ever touch the internet. <laughs> yeah. So it, in that limited sense, though, it's a dad movie. But otherwise, I'm not really going to be watching this movie much myself. And I probably won't watch this movie for another 10 years, to be honest, when my kids are finally teenagers. So, like, it, I could, I don't really think it's a dad movie because I can take this movie or leave it. And it, it was impactful to me when I was 14 and not so much now. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's a dad movie. Oh, okay. What do you think, bud? Heavy disclaimer that I am not a dad. So I, I feel like my, my capacity to comment on whether movies are dad movies are, is, is somewhat limited. As we've but done, as a potential as we've done for, for uh, Dave and as we've done for Letney, you have we're feeding you potential dad energy. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm coming you got at enough you, here. I'm coming at you with some big uh, single man energy. But, <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my best. Would it be a dad movie? It wouldn't be like a comfort movie that I would throw on as a father in my in my home, but it is something that I would be ex- be excited to uh, show my future potential children. Like, yeah, like it, it'd be like showing them a magic trick that I I learned a long time ago. Like, I, I know that there's like the obvious parallel of that um, yeah. being a, a movie about magic, but it seems like a one time thing. Like, are you watching closely? I'm going to show you something that's pretty phenomenal. And then they'll yeah. be, then they'll be hopefully enchanted by the twist and the, and uh, the whole way that it turns out. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm not quite sure what the criteria are exactly, even though I am a listener of the show <laughs> and, and you should be too. <laughs> um, well, the, the criteria, so we, we've broken this down in, in one other episode. I'm actually not sure if we've released that one yet. Uh, I don't think so. But anyway, it, it has been broken down once. That was Jesse's form of reference. Really what we go for is just like, it's kind of what's in your heart, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. <laughs> you know, if, if you had a deep connection to this and you just couldn't wait to show that young Austin Jr. Mm. Or you didn't. And it, it, what I'm picking up is that is that you you do want to show kind of what Jesse was saying is that you do want to show you want to pull the card trick. You want to you want to pull the coin from behind their ear. Right. Show right. them this movie. Right. Let watch your little brains be blown. Yeah. But not <laughs> yeah. too much after that. It's it's like the David Copperfield of movies to me. It's like uh, yeah. it, it's, it has like a lot of mind and a lot of cleverness, but not a whole lot of heart uh, in a corresponding level. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, what what age do you think then? If you were like just just Ooh. spitballing, like, Ooh. like when would you think? Ooh. Uh. Uh, like right bef- like right as they're like turning like mm, I want to say like twelve or thirteen. Nice. Maybe like it would like kind of match up nicely around when I would have first seen it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will echo those sentiments. That's a good age. Uh, I'm going to copy that and paste. Uh, uh, <laughs> With I your computer command. <laughs> command V. No, no, I, I sort of hold my thumb on it, and then it asks me. And then I go, yes, <laughs> copy that. Uh, so I, I'm going to copy that. I'm also going to say I definitely do want my kids to see this. I. I got to experience this a little bit with my wife when we began dating and we, we got engaged and got married. Like movies were a big part of my life. They were not a big part of hers. And it was really fun going through some of the big twist movies and watching them with her and just um, seeing that reaction in real time. I, 
I, I'll never forget. It was it. She reacted the, to the weirdest things. Uh, it was in the Game of Thrones <laughs> in the Red Wedding episode. Yeah, I've never heard her make so many noises. <laughs> just, just so I mean, many, really so many noises scene. in a row. But it was shock and and awe and disgust. And there were so many emotions. My wife does not really get emotional about movies very much. Mm. And I remember showing her this one. I think she'd seen it a little bit. She kind of forgotten the mm. twist. She kind of remembered. Still, still kind of shocked her a little bit. But it was underwhelming for me as a spectator. Mm. Uh, and I really <laughs> want to be there huh. when someone's mind is blown by this movie. Yeah. And for that selfish yes. reason alone, I'm going to show this to my children. <laughs> that would be fun. That would I, be a fun moment. I just want to see it so oh. bad. Even when we watch The Usual Suspects, I don't think that she was paying enough of attention because when it finally is revealed, I'm not going to spoil the usual suspects in a prestige pod, but when it was finally revealed, the big <laughs> twist, there was a lack of reaction that I found very disturbing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, huh. So I really, I really want that shock and awe. I really want that again. I want that feeling of, of watching what happened to me happen to someone else. Yeah. Uh, and the easiest and most selfish way to do this is to my kids. Uh, so definitely to my kids. Um, I would also say, uh, I am on the fence about this being a dad movie. Uh, I know I have to come down one or the other. Um, I'm going to say just from the sheer number of times I've returned to this, even in the last five years, I've now seen this movie uh, five times in the last five years, three of which were in one week. Um, <laughs> and I, I come back to this. I come it's back to Christopher be a yes. Nolan. Yeah. Yeah. It, like it, it, it's it defining to you as a person, right? And that's a part of it. Like mm-hmm. it can be a dad movie that that's defining to you as an individual, mm-hmm. but you don't want your kids to see it. You actively do not want them to see it. Sure. Or it could be something that like you don't really care about, but you really want your kids to see it. Sure. Both sure. of those things could be dad movies. Yeah. But like they don't they don't have to be. I, I'm I'm classing but, this as a dad movie then, um, just because uh yeah, it, it just it, it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me, it still means a lot to me. I still find new things to like about it, and I hate it when people say that about movies they've seen a bunch of times. <laughs> but every every way that I like to try and plug in a different thought about Christopher Nolan, I can plug it in and then rewatch his movies and come to this one. I just find his movies the most rewatchable. Hold on one yeah. second. So, like I said, it wasn't. Vito, Mike, you say it is, but Austin, did you say it was or was not a dad movie? Um, I think I am gonna go with a yes. I think based based on the based okay. on the the criteria okay. I'm hearing in this conversation. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe a, a slight change from from the impression I was giving, but uh, it, it hits hard, especially the first time. And I think uh, maybe just even for that fact. Yeah. No, sure. I, I I like it. I think it's good arguments all around. Yeah. Um, gentlemen. Austin, you are classed in the term of gentleman, but I also wanted to single you out. Uh, do you have any other thoughts, any other impressions or, or last things you wanted to say about the prestige before we close the book and you're never allowed to talk about it ooh, again? Because <laughs> you are going to have to sign oh, a form really where you can't podcast about this again. Uh, oh. <laughs> any, other, any other final thoughts? Yeah. Uh, Anything else? Hmm. Is there, is there something that you have in mind? No, it, no. I, I, I have, I have nothing intellect- in mind. But, uh, you're intellectually I'm just, uh, something in particular? Just prepping your forms here, where you can never speak about this movie. I never speak. Oh no, we have, we have exclusivity. I'm going to sign on the dotted line pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, hmm. We can circle back. Let's circle back. Circle All right. back. All right, Mike. Anything less? I think that's it, man. I think we talked about you know, it's Christopher Nolan. It's the Prestige. It's amazing. Yeah. What more is there to say? Yeah. Jesse. Well. Yeah, honestly, we could talk forever about how this is a metaphor of making other movies. That's true. We could talk about like 
what this is symbolic of and why they're focusing on magic in particular and why this has to be about magic. Um, and I think we kind of glance on all those things, but frankly, I think we're just going to have to leave it at that. We touched all those topics and we just got to say this, this is a dad movie, even though I'm not the one who voted it for it to be, <laughs> uh, but I understand why it is. And I think most people who listen to this will probably understand as well. Yeah. I, 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 I'm happy with where we're leaving. It feels chilly out in the Spider-Man 3 cold, doesn't it, Jesse? (laughs) (laughs) Have I ever voted Uh, something a dad movie that you guys... Wait, no, not a dad movie that you guys have? Yeah, we've all been in the doghouse at one point or another, and I look forward to standing strong when we do our Spider-Man 3 repod. That'll be good. That'll be good. It's what everyone has never asked for. Part two. <laughs> Winner. Maybe the, maybe this should just, just oh, be a no, That'll be awful. No, no. Episode 100. I'm calling it. Spider-Man 3 Repot. Doing it again, baby. Like we never did it before. Oh, we've never <laughs> done it before. Well, uh, anything else, Austin? Um, what, as far as like the ranking of Christopher Nolan movies go, uh, yeah. I would say uh, the... Well, I know what the worst Christopher Nolan movie is in my mind, but uh, this is not... Oh, wait. No, no. What is it? <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it be, would be, be it would, bold. It would, be actually, it would actually be Tenet, which is uh, the one I saw oh! most recently. Dro- dropping a little dropping a little, little nugget there All for, right. for, for future right. discussion. But I would put it uh, above um, Batman Begins, but I would put it below The Dark Knight as yeah. far as my ranking. Okay. Fair. Just, it's been a long time since I saw Batman Begins. I remember I loved it. Yeah. 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 But... No, it, it, it's, a, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. We'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, uh, de- it's definitely going to come up. Batman's got to come up at some point. I'm on yeah. this podcast. Batman's going to come up. <laughs> um, well, I can't, I can't wait. Maybe when we do a tenant episode, uh, we'll have you back on. Yeah. Mm, be interesting. I'd love, I'd love to hear you like speak at length and passionately about something you don't like. Yeah, I, w- I would take a crap on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would nice. do it with a smile. <laughs> And on that note, uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was wonderful having you, man. Thank, <laughs> thanks for coming it's, on. It, as on. I said, it's been years in the making, and it's, uh, yeah, it's got to happen again and again and again and again. Because also, when you sign in that dotted line, you're also saying you you only will pod with us three. You only talk about Christopher Nolan with with, with the three of us. Yeah. On it, on it. So I'm going to need you to go through your Facebook and take some stuff down. Oh, <laughs> I might have to renegotiate my contract at some point. Alright, uh, I got nothing more to add, but I would like to say from here at Not Your Father's Movies, uh, we appreciate you listening. Thank you. Uh, it was such a, a joy to hear from listeners about what they wanted to hear us talk about. And it was a joy to, to, to be surprised too. To be like, oh, you guys want us to talk about that? Well, I want to talk about that. That sounds amazing. Uh, please keep it up. We're going to be logging every request that comes in and keeping a, a good record of them all and then who they're from so that we can give you a nice shout out on the show. And uh, and maybe we'll do some more poll stuff in the future. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah. And to be clear, we got a couple emails. Like We post our emails on almost every episode, but it was two emails that we got requesting this one. And then uh, a man who shot liberty valence which i what? think might be our next one i'm not sure it's definitely going to be one of the next uh three that we do huh. uh we have three more coming at you for listener request month one of them is definitely the man who shot liberty valence um and we will tune in to hear who that came from mm. uh maybe some connection to the show can't mm. wait to talk about it so thank you again mikael for asking us to talk about this movie yeah yeah we re- love re- talking real pleasure to hear from you man uh write us again <laughs> Um, all right, well, for, for all of us at uh, Not Your Father's Movies, signing off in our first listener request episode. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Jesse. And I'm Austin. 
All right, everyone. Good night. Talk to you later.